Again, welcome to our Sunday service here in church and online. Uh, just a, one announcement for the incoming week. There'll be no meetings uh, held in the church this week. We will be meeting again next Sunday morning for our 11 o'clock service. Again, thanks to all those who have taken part over these last few days. It's been uh, a bit of a trial for those that have been organizing it because uh, sickness has taken its effect on a lot of uh, the people of our church, a lot of our members. In fact, there's only two uh, here this morning who are supposed to be here. Everybody else has stood in at short notice uh, to help us in our praise and in our worship. And again, I'm standing in the lead as well. I'm not supposed to be leading, but I am supposed to be speaking. And so I want to welcome you again to this, the last Sunday service for 2021. It's hard to believe that we're at the last of another year, and what a year it has been. I think we can all honestly say that. I do hope that you had a pleasant day yesterday, that you were able to enjoy your time and fellowship together as you met as families or as you went to other people's house. And also for those that have families, that maybe the batteries have now run out from those raucous toys that were bought for them, not by their parents, but by their family friends. Um, Around this time of year, some people start to make uh, resolutions about what they're going to do in the coming year. I can honestly say in the 69 years that I have lived, I have never, ever made a resolution, uh, partly because I know that I would never be able to keep it. For me, uh, and again, it's probably a peculiarity to myself, to me, it's like another notch in a stick. It's like another year counted off the allotted years that I have, whatever they may be. Sid was telling us last Sunday about how Carl's can bring us back certain memories in our, in our childhood. And as he said that, into my head popped the smell of Christmas wrapping paper. And nostalgia is an odd thing, but we have memories that we have from days past. We remember, certainly I remember, uh, time spent with our children as they grew up. Now they are enjoying it with their own children. Time, to quote Isaac Watts, is like an ever-rolling stream. You may be in your teens, or you may be listening in your teens or early 20s this morning and wondering, what is that old man talking about? Time drags, especially in church. I used to say that to my mom when she said to me when I was younger, the older you get, you know, the time will start to fly. Now I know exactly what she means. At the start of this pandemic, which has been going on for, what, 18 months now, each one of us were uncertain about what was going to happen. And I remember sitting at home and evaluating as a believer what I was putting my trust in, or who was I putting my trust in? Was it the busyness of all the religious activity that I was involved in? Was it my Christian upbringing, my church background? Was it even in all the works that I had been or am involved in? And as I assessed where I actually stood before God, I thanked God for the certainty of a saving faith. 
And even for those times when God was so real, so personal in my own life, as you can tell, or maybe you can't, my body is getting old. I'm beginning to wear out in many different ways. But my faith is new every day. And so it's this morning as we come to that unusual transition between an old year and moving into a new year and God's will. I want us to turn to the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as we turn to that chapter, uh, I remind ourselves of the details of Corinth. Corinth was a city of importance at the time of this letter. It was a major center for trade. And even in that city were many different temples to both Greek and Roman gods. In Acts chapter 18, we read that the apostle Paul left Athens to go to Corinth in order to preach the good news of the gospel to both the Jews and to the Greeks. Despite opposition that he received when he got to Corinth, he actually stayed there for a year and a half, preaching and establishing a local church in Corinth before he moved on. Now, a couple of years after that, uh, Paul received news about difficulties that were taking place in the new church in Corinth. New leaders had come into the church. People had started to claim allegiance to various teachers, and it started to disparage those who they didn't like. Sexual sins were openly present in the church. Questions about what could and couldn't be eaten had arisen. And to add to that, favoritism was being shown to certain people in the church, while others were being looked down on. Doubts about the resurrection had even risen. Paul, as the founder of that church, was obviously concerned about that, which is why he wrote that first letter to the church. He reminds in the opening letter of 1 Corinthians that the church is not to boast in men. Don't boast in man, because every believer is God's temple. And he resides in all who are his. And so Paul reminds them that they shouldn't seek to destroy each other, for in doing so they are attacking God. He tells the church in Corinth not to tolerate sin. He teaches against uh, that they are, irrespective of their background, that they were all baptized into one body and were all made one to drink of the one spirit. We are one in Christ. Paul in his first letter again uh, quotes those well-known words to the church in Corinth and to us today. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The resurrection was and remains an essential of the good news of the gospel. When we come to the book of what we call Second Corinth, the early chapters of this second letter would indicate that this isn't literally the second letter that Paul had sent to the church in Corinth. In fact, we read in chapter 2 that he had visited the church and had, it says, a painful visit to the church. So there were probably other letters that Paul had sent to the church. In the preceding chapter to what we're going to look at this morning, uh, we read an, uh, an insight into one of the paradoxes of the faith, 
that the salvation, the treasure that we have is held in jars of clay. So if you turn back to chapter 4, we're just going to read a few verses uh, from verse 7 there in chapter 4 before we read chapter 5. Chapter 4, verse 7 reads, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So turn over then to chapter 5, and we'll read the whole chapter as we consider. We're not going to look at the whole chapter, just the last five verses, but read the chapter together to get context. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for, for this very good thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as our guarantee. Verse 6, the good first to note, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we know, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, and those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, 
Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of, the Christ, uh, behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just before we consider this, let's just commit to God this time together. Father, we... Thank you again for the word that we have just read. We pray as we look at this this morning that you would guide our thoughts, that we would hear your voice, that your spirit would be our teacher as we meet and as we consider your word. Take any uh, human thoughts or ideas away that we would be solely focused on you and what you have done for us. So, Father, we uh, commit this time into your hands in your name. Amen. This morning, as we consider coming to the end of another year and looking on to 2022 in God's will, I want to consider the concluding section of this chapter from verse 16 onwards. But there are a few just points we want to highlight as we have read this morning. That first verse that we looked at, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building of God. The word destroyed here is probably more understood as being demolished in the terms of a tent being taken down. An occurrence that would have been well known to the readers of this letter and obviously to Paul himself who was a tent maker. Paul, uh, for many summers, uh, more than I care to remember, I spent some time under canvas Firstly, with the Boys Brigade, and then when I moved to Carrick with the campaigners, when we set up a camp, a canvas camp, a tent camp, it usually took us about four to five days to get everything sorted and everything in its place. But when we were moving out and going home, it usually only took about two hours to dismantle the whole camp and get it all packed away. It's a timely reminder to each one of us that the tent that we live in can be so easily removed. We have no guarantee of how long this tent will be here. Verse 10 that we looked at is another verse that we need to take note of. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I can't say this morning that I don't know the intimate details or the full circumstances of this event. I can't fully explain it, but I am taking Paul's word here as the inspired word of God. What I can be sure of is that for a believer, 
This will not be a time of judgment. Our salvation is sure and complete. Does this then mean it's a time of evaluation for a believer as to how we have lived, how we have served God on our time on earth? It may well be the intention that Paul is saying here. Again, it's a warning to all of us this morning. If we don't know Christ, then one day we'll have to stand before God in judgment and take an account as why we ignored or rejected God. But if we do, Paul is saying as we will still have to stand before God. Now, let's go back to verse 16 in our, on our, on our chapter here in 5. Verse 16 reads, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We again need to remind ourselves of the author of the book, that he is Paul, at one time, that atonement of God. In his letters, he describes himself on various occasions a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of God, someone who was implicit in the persecution and deaths of, in the early church. But on that road to Damascus, as Paul states, the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul is making it clear to the latter to the church here that as a follower of Jesus, our life is different from what it was before we followed after him. Now, we all don't or didn't have an experience that Paul had. But we know, as Paul came to know, that Jesus who is who he claimed to be. He is the risen Son of God, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And like Paul, if we believe this is the only way of salvation, then we can also say that we are a new creation. The old self should be becoming less and less as we continue our walk with God. We should be being molded into his image as his sanctifying work is seen in each one of our lives. I ask myself, as again I would ask you to ask yourself, as I come to the end of 2021, how much have I grown to be more like Christ in 2021? How much have I grown to be more like Christ? Or maybe it would possibly be more like the question, how much have I moved away from God? Is he becoming increasingly less important to me and to how I live? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Maybe we should stop making excuses about, like, that's just my nature. It's the way I was born. That's just a habit I have. Maybe we should put away those excuses that we are quick to make and pursue more Christ-likeness. Verse 17 of chapter 5 again reflects the change in a believer. Verse 17 reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As we've already expressed, Paul was an opponent, an ardent opponent of Christ before God stopped them in his tracks. We, I know I personally, had a religiosity about it and a church-going tradition. 
But the truth is, I still opposed Christ until the day that he broke into my life. And we all are guilty of opposing Christ until the day he broke into each one of our lives. And so our old values, the old mindset that we used to have, should be replaced by the new values based on God's teaching and his commandments. We became, in our salvation, Christ-centered as opposed to the self-obsessed we were, people that we were before that. And verse 18 tells us why, and says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and give us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, was God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, but, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All this happened because of God's work on the cross, reconciling and restoring those of us who were separated from him. You know, this morning, God takes sin seriously. He took it personally in that he sent his own son to die on the cross for my sin, for our sin, to make that way possible long before I was born, long before even I had a thought about it, indicating that the instigator of this reconciliation is God himself. As we thought about yesterday, the birth of a baby, that the good news of a Savior born who was to die on a cross, to rise again on the third day, to be glorified, and to take his place at the right hand of God the Father. What a Savior we have. What a Redeemer. What a privilege to come this morning to a Heavenly Father and to be able to call him Abba, my Father, our Father. We rightfully praise and thank God for his saving grace, for his reconciliation, for his adoption of us into his family, for making us a new creation. But in doing all of that, Paul makes clear then we have a responsibility, a job to complete. Let's look at the end of verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20. Verse 19 there at the end of that says, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. <clears throat> the word used as ambassador here is presbyterio, which means to act as a representative, as a preacher, as an ambassador. Now, the dictionary definition for the word ambassador is that of an authorized messenger or a representative. We have the authority to act on behalf of somebody. This responsibility isn't just given to a few people. If God thought that our sins were so heinous that he sent his son to reconcile us to him, to adopt us into his family, to make us a new creation, then we are called to reflect that to be his representative, his ambassador. This requires us then to nurture and develop this relationship that we have, to move on, as Paul says earlier in this book, from the baby milk and the crave for the solid food, to speak and commune with him, to know his teachings and his ways. 
Maybe in this coming year, God willing, we can be more deliberate in how we do this on how we can reflect God's grace with the people that we meet either at home or at work and even in the church. Earlier in chapter 2, and you didn't turn to it in the same book, chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. Paul was taking the hearers back to the, the temple and the incense that burnt in the temple there. The fragrance that couldn't be seen, and yet it was a pleasing, a pleasant, and attractive aroma. How as believers can we develop that presence wherever we go? I know for me it's a challenge, I have to be honest, to have that aroma for Christ and not have the acrid smoke of the world. It is something that requires obedience so people can see our Savior reflected in us. Our task as a church, understanding that church is the people and not the building, is that of reconciliation, bringing the good news of a Savior to a needy world. And we do this by being the fragrance of Christ in our conversations and our dealings with people. And we willingly do this because the example that we read in the concluding of this section of this letter reads, for our sake, that is the church, as we gather this morning, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Perhaps as we move into a new year, we could take the words of this hymn that I'm going to read shortly and make it our heart's desire and our prayer. If you don't know Christ this morning as your Savior, then consider these words as well. And for those of us who do, may this be our desire, our experience for 2022. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Easy to read, easy to sing as we have sang it many a time. Let's intensely make this our desire, our prayer as we go forward into 2022.